0: Our lesson comes from Revelation chapter 21, beginning at the first verse. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, adorned as a bride for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. God will dwell with them. They will be his people, and he will be their God. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give of the spring of the water of life without payment. And to the one who conquers, this will be their heritage. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We say that we believe in the resurrection, but do we live like we believe it? We say that we believe in the resurrection, specifically in the creed, the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the body. We believe that because of Easter, one day those who are in Christ, just like Lazarus, will come out of our graves... Raised with new resurrection bodies and live with God forever. That's what we say we believe. Do we live like we believe it? It's partly a trouble with our imagination, grabbing a hold of this concept of the resurrection life promised to us. When we're little, we are full of imagination. It's even encouraged in us. But as life goes on, our imaginations seem to get squeezed and crushed and distracted. We get distracted with all kinds of things. It's kind of like the teacher in this classroom who says to the students one day, who do you imagine yourselves one day to be? And Johnny says, well, I imagine myself to be a billionaire I imagine myself to be the boss, I imagine myself to have a big boat, and I imagine myself to have the best girl. The teacher comes to Susie in the classroom next and says, Susie, what do you imagine yourself to be? And Susie says, well, I was going to say something else, but I guess now I have to say, I imagine myself to be Johnny's girl we get distracted. Our our minds, our hopes, our dreams, our imaginations get distracted and grabbed a hold of by the wrong things. Oh, that we would imagine the resurrection of the body more and what this future means for us. You see, our lack of Christian imagination, godly Christian imagination this lack of godly Christian imagination ends up limiting our action in this life. See, the Bible pictures for us this resurrection future. And it's meant to grow our imaginations. It's meant to spark something in our minds that will ultimately lead to action. That so as we think and dream and imagine, so we begin to live. See, at the center of this whole vision of our resurrected future in chapter 21 of Revelation is verse 5. And the one who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. That's the center of this resurrected future, all things new. I mean, we long for this, at least we should. In a broken world, as broken people, we are invited to imagine a new creation, a new world. But not just a new creation, we're invited to imagine a new community, a new group of people filling that world. But not only a new creation and not only a new community, but of the very... Source and center of it all, we are to imagine a new communion with God, a new proximity with God. See, first we begin being invited by imagining a new creation. Verse one, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This language of heaven and earth is meant to trigger something in our minds that brings us all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, this opening word about this new heavens and new earth is meant to be the full picture of creation. This is God bringing about a new creation, a renewed creation. Heaven and earth, not just heaven, not just some spiritual, ethereal plane, but earthy, physical, embodied. You see, the entire Bible has been leading us to believe that God really cares about the physical world he made. When you look at the detail of the creation story and how central that is to what it means to follow Jesus. As you look at the incarnation, Christmas, the nativity, God entering our world in flesh. And then as you look at the resurrection, God, after bearing the sins of humanity, conquering death, doesn't just rise as a disembodied voice and a ghost and a spirit, but comes back in flesh in the person of his son. And every one of these moments is screaming out to us, To God, matter matters. God cares about the stuff of the world that He's made, and His new heavens and new earth is a physical, renewed creation. That's why Archbishop William Temple, one of the greatest archbishops of the last century, says Christianity is the most materialistic of all religions. Because we believe that God cares about this physical realm and is committed to renew it. Behold, I saw a new heavens and a new earth. But let's be clear, this new creation is new. It's not just a rehashing of the same old creation we live in now. New. I think it's best captured actually in that strange phrase in verse 1 of chapter 21. It says, and the sea was no more. And you want to say, really? There's no sea in eternity? There's no sea in heaven? It's a rather awkward moment when you at a funeral where this text is often read and someone in a eulogy has just said, well, you know, Grandpa Stan is up there fishing with Jesus in the sea now. And then someone gets up and reads Revelation 21 and says, the sea is no more. You see, it's, it's a metaphor, the sea. It's a metaphor that grabs a hold of the Jewish imagination. In the ancient Near East, the sea represents everything that is chaotic, out of control, that is evil and seeks to destroy us. The sea for the Hebrew mind is the place where Leviathan lives. This great sea monster of the deep. The sea is the one that claims our young men and our old men as they go fishing. The sea is a place of danger. But this vision says the new heavens and the earth, the sea is no more. Can you imagine what it must have been like for the disciples of Jesus with this Hebrew mindset about what the sea represented? that when they were in that boat in Mark chapter 4, and they were caught in that massive sea storm, all the chaos, all the evil that that represented, and that Jesus in but a word said, silence, be still, and the sea was calm. Imagine just two chapters later in Mark chapter 6 when Jesus goes further and walks on top of the sea. It's a declaration That Jesus has come to conquer the forces of chaos, to conquer those things that seek to harm us, to conquer evil, as our liturgy says, to trample down hell and Satan under his feet. That's why verse 4 of Revelation 21 can say, Death shall be no more. Neither mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the past order of things is gone. See, Jesus has taken everything that's broken in our creation. And the promise is that in this new heavens and new earth, in this new creation, the sea is gone, chaos is gone, evil is gone. That's why in John chapter 19, verse 30, it sounds so similar to what Jesus here says in verse 7 when he says, It is done. Jesus, there hanging on the cross, bearing the sins of humanity, says, It is finished. And so the sea is no more. Now, let's be clear. What this does not mean is that we're to simply somehow ignore the pain and the suffering we experience now in this fallen creation. The pain and the suffering we experience is real. We're to acknowledge that pain, we're to lament that pain before God. But will we allow that pain to spur us on to yearn for this new creation? Will we allow our pain in this life to make us imagine and yearn for the new heaven and the new earth? As Johnny Erickson Tata, who in 1967 became a quadriplegic, an author and theologian speaker, writes this, She says, when God sent a broken neck my way, he blew out the lamps in my life that lit up the here and now and made it so captivating. The dark despair of total and permanent paralysis that followed wasn't much fun, but it sure made heaven come alive. And one day when our bridegroom comes back and I'm still suffering in this chair, there's no doubt in my mind that I'll be fantastically more excited and ready for it than if I were still on my feet. In the meantime, suffering hurries my heart homeward. Our suffering, our pain calls us to yearn for this new creation to imagine this new world. But not only are we invited to imagine a new creation, we're invited to imagine a new community and a new people to fill this new creation. Verse three says, they will be his people. They, the people that make up this new world will be his, God's people. And and that language of being his people, being God's people, is covenantal language from the Old Testament. This language of us living into the call and the promise of God. It goes right back to Exodus chapter six. There's Moses, and what does God say to him? He says of Israel, He says, I am the Lord. I will take you to be my people, and I will be my God. I will take you to be my people. That's the promise. That's the covenant promise. But here's the challenge for us. Is to be God's people is to reflect God's character, to live as his people, to live like him, to reflect to the world his own goodness and faithfulness and righteousness. As we hear again and again that refrain through the book of Leviticus. I am the Lord your God. Be holy, for I am holy. But it stops us short, doesn't it? At least it should. When we recognize that to be his people, if we're to reflect his character, then that demonstrates to us immediately just how much we have fallen short. We fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of the call on our lives. And each one of us has to own that reality. And even owning that reality of our brokenness is to make us yearn for something better. A new community. This came to my attention probably in no greater way or greater moment than at my high school graduation ceremony. We were having the awards portion of the, award, the, the graduation. And At this time, already having worked as a child actor, I was a professional singer. I had recorded an album. No, you can't find it on Amazon. And so I figured the music award, hands down, right? I'm getting the music award. Like I told people to come to the ceremony because I'm going to get the music award. The problem is, that I was arrogant, and I was an extremely undisciplined new Christian. Well, the grad service started, I sang a solo in the service, I conducted the school choir and orchestra for two numbers, and then sat in my chair, waiting for the music award to be presented, and they presented the music award to Philip Riley. And I was outraged. But then soon after, I was humbled. I realized within the next few weeks of that moment sure, great competency, Paul, great competency, awful character. We need to face down the reality of the call that God has placed on our lives to be his people. See how far short we fall, to see that we are not on our own going to be people of the best character. But here's the gospel. God takes men and women of bad character and adopts us as his sons and daughters. That's the gospel. The gospel is he takes us who are broken and wretched and is intending to form a new life in us, a new kind of life, a new kind of community. Jesus here in verse 6 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He says it also back in chapter 1 of Revelation. The Arche and the Telos is the Greek words for beginning and the end. The Arche, the First, the prototype, where you get the word architect, right? The design itself. Jesus is saying, I am the prototype of humanity. Like, I, if you want to see what humanity is supposed to look like, you look at the archetype, you look at me. But not only is the archetype the beginning, he's also the end. He's the telos, the destiny of humanity, that he is what humanity is to become. The telos, the end, of an acorn is to be an oak tree. The telos of a wretched, sinful human being like you and me is to become like Jesus. That is what he promises us in those words, I am the beginning and the end. It's why in verse 7, God says to us, I will be his God and he will be my son. He will be my child. How could this be? How could this new community be formed in the new heavens and the new earth? Well, it always goes back to that evening of the resurrection, that, sorry, that morning of the resurrection in the garden. There's Jesus with Mary Magdalene, raised from the dead. And what does he say to her in verse 16 and verse 17 of John 20? He says, do not hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to my father, but instead go to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and to their father, to my God and their God. These disciples he's speaking about, these backstabbing, runaway, denying disciples he calls brothers. He says they are now sons. They can call God their father. Why? Because in the death and resurrection of the Son of God, which we celebrate every time we gather at table, then this moment, wretched, broken people in faith, by grace alone, are adopted as sons and daughters. That's the gospel. And this character is being formed in us now. It's not just something we wait for, but we yearn for that future new community. And oh, does this world need a new community? Do you know the Pew Forum had a number of polls that came out that came out with the ultimate declaration that in this country right now, we have not been so politically divided as we are now, as in 40 years? Where are God's people in the midst of this division? Where are the holy sons and daughters of God? Sinners saved by grace, made from one degree of glory into the next to be more like Christ. Where are we standing in the midst of this broken world? We need a new community. It's promised one day, a new community. And yet, as we imagine it, we yearn for it and we press into it even now. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. See, it's not just that we are to imagine a new creation. It's not just that we're to imagine a new community, Christ-like, new life living in this world. But we're also to imagine a new communion, a new kind of fellowship and experience of God. His verse 3 says, the voice from the throne says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That word dwelling is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word for tabernacle. In other words, the place where God will pitch his tent, where God will choose to live, will be among us. It's the same word that John uses in the first chapter of his gospel In John 1.14, that says, The Word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us. As Eugene Peterson says in the translation called The Message, the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. God living with us. See, in the incarnation, in the nativity, in Jesus' life, There's God in the flesh living among us, tabernacling among us. But we look forward to a day when we have that same communion, a new communion with God face to face. Because in fact, that's exactly what's promised. Chapter 22, verse 4 of Revelation, they will see his face. This new kind of communion with God living with God we'll see his face and and this seeing the face of God is the fulfillment of everything that's wrapped up in the Aaronic blessing the blessing of Aaron that would be spoken over families in Israel generation after generation day after day and these words have been spoken over us again and again the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance or lift up his face to look upon you and give you peace. To have God the Father show us his face, to have the Father look on us. There's something built into our DNA as human beings where we long for God the Father to look on us. We see this in our interaction with our children all the time. Right? What, what do kids say all the time? Daddy. Look at me. Daddy, daddy, look, see? Pay attention. Look over here. Do you see me, daddy? Do you see what I'm doing? This desire to have a father look on us and see us and acknowledge us and know us is what we experience in this new communion. When God, your father, looks at you, we will see his face. This new communion we long for. It's what we're ultimately rehearsing for every time we gather for worship. We are learning and and rehearsing and practicing and imagining as we worship what it is to have that kind of new communion with God every time we gather. I think that C.S. Lewis probably imagined that moment pretty well in the horse and his boy. That Narnian story with talking animals and the Aslan figure who represents Christ. When, when the talking horse meets Aslan for the first time. Lewis writes this. Dearest daughter said Aslan planting a lion's kiss on her twitching velvety mane. I knew you would not be long in coming to me. Joy shall be yours. It's what Jesus said to his disciples in our reading from John 16. Verse 22, because he's going away, so also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, he says, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you you. We say that we believe in the resurrection, but do we live like we believe it? The Bible pictures for us our resurrection with God. And this picture is meant to spark our imagination, our Christian, holy imagination. And it would lead us, therefore, to act as we imagine this new creation, as we imagine this new community, new yous and new me's. No, there's just one of me. And we imagine this new communion, seeing God face to face, We must allow the Bible to spark our imaginations and then have those imaginations fuel the way we live that resurrection life even now. As Antoine de Saint-Exupery, the French author of The Little Prince, once wrote, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Teach them to imagine again. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.